By the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen. Mary Oliver, the author and theologian, is said to have defined faith in this way, the belief that a human's inclination, once fully awakened to it, is to turn all the heavy sails of their life to a moral purpose. Once awakened to it. So folks, if God can awaken the heart and the mind and the soul of the Apostle Paul toward a moral inclination, God, through grace, can awaken the heart of anyone. Because for real, before Paul's conversion, this guy was just plain awful. Last week, I was talking with a fourth grader here at church about Paul. We were discussing what an amazing man Paul seemed to be, very devout, engaged, educated. On and on went this fourth grader who was so deeply intrigued by Paul and by how often Paul comes up in our readings and discussions. The child went on for a while about the greatness of Paul with just a twinge of industrious envy in his eyes. I asked the group of kids now gathered around hearing all about Paul from this fourth grader. I asked them, what did Paul do before he did all these great acts as an apostle? They looked at me and one child said, he made tents. I said, yes, he did, that is right, but what did he do before that? And then I realized they didn't know, and I was going to have to tell them, and for a minute, I felt unprepared and a bit regretful that I had even asked the question, because you see, I was about to have to challenge this child's narrative of his biblical hero, if God can awaken the heart of Paul, God can awaken the heart of anyone. And in order for us to learn the moral and hear the good news of Christ in Paul, as our reading would have us do today, we must be willing to hear Paul's whole story, the whole story, not just the good parts. And so I did what any well-intentioned adult would do. I got down on the child's level, and I looked him right in the eyes with courage, but with empathy. And I boldly said, go home and Google it. That is a true story. These kids know I said, go home and Google how Saul became Paul. I ran out of time. What was I supposed to do? <laughs> but then, then I read the epistle for today, and there it was. Another invitation to share the good news of Paul's awakening 
an opportunity to talk about the grace of God found in the story of Paul. And it is good news because in Paul's awakening story is our awakening story too. So today we have Paul writing to the people of Corinth about grace many, many years after his awakening. Now, grace is something that I don't often hear a lot about in the Episcopal Church in my 45 years of being an Episcopalian. I hear about it a lot in the Presbyterian Church where my husband is a pastor. I hear about it a lot in the Baptist Church, but for some reason not so much in the Episcopal Church, and I'm not exactly sure why. But I suspect that it may be on the count that grace is an elusive term. It's difficult to capture, very difficult to take an intellectual spin on. Because grace is primarily about experience and emotion. One can't quantify grace, so it's hard to deal with it in any kind of measurable way. Grace is really only understood through story. And so we have the story of Paul, also known in his Hebrew name as Saul. In his early days, then going by Saul, he was a strong and well-educated Jew. He was on a path to great esteem in his work. He was well-revered and more than likely being primed for roles in leadership with much power. Saul was a zealot, compelled with a deep passion for defending the status quo and the traditions of the day. To him, this reformation occurring in the Jewish faith with these Jesus followers in the first century was nothing but a threat. And he was called to battle against it and against them, and he did. Man, Saul was violent and extreme. He killed, he brutalized, he imprisoned, he stoned people for their Jesus-following ways and beliefs. Saul was feared by all Jesus' followers, and yet seen as very powerful and necessary to those in charge. When Saul heard that Jesus' followers were moving toward Damascus, he got permission to follow them, to follow them in order to stop the message of Jesus from catching on any further. Paul's plan was to stop the messengers from arriving, imprison them, kill them, whatever it took to stop the message of Jesus from spreading. But along the road, Saul was walking, his story goes. He was dramatically stopped by a bright light. So bright that it blinded him and he fell to his knees. Saul, on his knees, then heard a voice. The voice of the Lord asking him a single question. The voice rang out, why do you persecute me? Now, notice, please, that the voice did not judge him or berate him or call him names or condemn him. The voice simply asked, why do you do what you do? Enter grace. Grace is an offering of the Holy Spirit. 
It occurs in moments often wrecked by havoc and chaos and strife. And although unsettling, grace often comes with blind peace. Grace is never judging or shaming, and yet it always asks of us accountability. Why do you do what you do? asked Grace. Upon hearing the question, Saul stands up. He doesn't dare answer the question, because in his blindness, his extraordinary epiphany is that he truly doesn't know why he persecutes people. Saul is then given instructions to go back to the city and wait. He stands up, is unable to see, and so is led back to the city where he hides and fasts until he is healed by a Jesus follower. Okay, just pause with me for a second here. Really, imagine being that guy. You are aware that all of your people are being hunted and killed and put in prison by this zealot. And then God comes to you and says, okay, so yeah, that zealot that's been killing all your friends and putting people in prison, he's gone blind and he's in hiding. It's kind of a bummer. So I just need for you to go down there and heal him, if you don't mind. I imagine this guy sitting there, mid-sip into his first cup of coffee for the day, hearing this from God and saying, right, no problem. I'll go right after I finish the crossword puzzle. But this Jesus follower, Ananias, does go, and he heals Saul. And from that point on, Saul becomes the very thing he's persecuting. Saul is healed in order that he is able to become the greatest evangelist ever to exist. And 2,000 years later, 16 books in the New Testament are attributed to him or his students. Grace, unmerited, divine influence which operates to regenerate and sanctify humans. Unmerited divine influence. That is the best I can do at making this quantifiable for us today. The key word in this, albeit incomplete, definition of grace is this, unmerited Do we really believe that Saul, Paul, of all people deserved to be influenced by the divine in that moment? So often, I think we need to see ourselves and others as deserving of love and goodness. Would we say that Saul even remotely deserved the unconditional love and influence offered by God in that moment? Most definitely not. It was totally and completely unmerited. But that's why it's called grace. Because divine influence in that moment wasn't just about Saul. 
It was about who God needed Saul to become so that God's people could be saved. So grace is offered not for Saul's sake alone, but for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world, the divine influences Saul through grace, not to change Saul's story about Jesus or Jesus' followers, but to change Saul's story about himself. When blinded by the bright light, Saul becomes powerless. The divine influence is so strong that Saul is unable to see anything as he did before, including himself. The strong leader is changed such that he can't even walk on his own. He has to be led and then go into hiding and then be healed by his once enemy. Everything he knew is subverted by grace. Saul understands himself differently now. His self-narrative is changed and he awakens to who God is asking him to become. His heavy sails are set in a moral direction. Grace is the invitation to see ourselves differently, to know ourselves as God would have us to be, as God needs us to be, not for our sake but for the sake of the world. And we all have stories about ourselves that keep us from becoming fully who God needs us to be. And grace has come to each of us at one moment or another, or it will be sure of that. And we will come to know ourselves differently, and if we choose, set sail in a different direction. This is our work here at All Souls. This is why we say we are pilgrims on the way where all are welcome, trust is present, and risks are taken. We are pilgrims on the Damascus Road with Saul. We are living the life of faith Mary Oliver claimed where we set our heavy sails in the direction of a moral purpose. We are seeking awakening Grace will come to each of us and to us as a community. I dare say it regularly does. Our job is to receive that grace and fall on our knees, then get back up, set our sails in a different direction, and move ahead. And to allow the other to heal us. The biggest Risk, I think, Saul Paul took was in that humbling moment, blind and alone with a man who for every reason should have hated him and sought revenge. Saul trusted, Saul trusted that grace was present and that the direction they followed was good. He allowed himself to receive vulnerable, broken, and absolutely brave. This is the paradox of prayer and grace. In order to receive, we must be both vulnerable and brave. And we do this for each other here at All Souls during this time when we are moving out into the world seeking awakening. We also hold each other close in prayer and community care. 
We pray for each other to be brave and vulnerable, and then we have faith that grace will set the sail in the right direction. Grace will not do the work for us, but grace will make it possible for us to do ourselves. Because Saul changed his story about himself and set his sail in a different direction, we have been allowed to know Jesus in this way. We have benefited from Paul's awakening and from grace present with us here so that we may also say, by the grace of God, I am what I am not for our sake alone, but for the sake of the world. Amen.